talk about, you get curveballs, and my curveball was I got cancer. So that's the, the thing that gave me the crossroads in my life and made me change where I was going. The first two years, we were bleeding money, and now I can admit it, because we're through the other end, but oh my goodness, I was literally at one point had my hand over something that was literally gushing money everywhere. Joe Malone OBE is, of course, a household name, and that's part of the problem. After selling her brand, there's complications in using it, and that's just one of the many lessons she's learned along the way of things she might have done differently. Meanwhile, Justine Roberts hasn't made the same mistake with Mumsnet, the world's largest community for mums. However, she has many things on reflection that she would change were she to do this journey all over again. And that's the key theme for this week's episode. If I was to do it all again, I would do X. We hope you enjoy learning from and hearing about the journeys of two of the UK's most impressive entrepreneurs, and especially their rather different personalities. Now on with the show. Hi, Joe. It's like Graham Norton. That's a great compliment, except, uh, you know, <laughs> I got married. My wife might disagree. But still, other than that, definitely. Now, the theme of the event is reflections. So before going deep and meaningful uh, with our conversation, with Justine as well, I just think it's important to get a picture of where your driver came from initially. So we're going to attempt to do the impossible and give your long story very short um, and give a sweet summary of your entire entrepreneurial life in just 10 minutes as a background for guests. You up for the challenge? <laughs> I'll give it a go. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, it all starts on a council estate. And um, you're a young teenager, and you're pretty much having to go and support your entire family. Yeah. How did you discover your unique talent, and what was early life actually like for you on the estate? Okay, so I grew up in Bexley Heath in Kent on a two-up, two-down. I had two very, very creative parents, and my dad was a brilliant artist. He was a member of the Magic Circle, he was a magician, and he was also a huge gambler. And my mum was in the skincare industry, but... I mean, I go around the world sharing my story, and one of the things I say is life never wastes anything. And although they were two very creative parents, uh, from the age of 11, I was the adult, and I was the one that would go to the fridge, open the fridge to see if the next meal was there. And I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of small businesses start out with the spirit of survival. How do I survive? And for me, that's where I learned that, you know, what, what can I do with very little, pay the rent, and make sure that life continues and I think that as a young child as I was growing up and I noticed that um, I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia until I was much older so at school I was told I was lazy and I was stupid and I would never make anything of my life and all those things that children never ever ever in this life should be told regardless of anything and it kind of it made me fight it made me feel that resilience and that warrior and I found that within myself and, but I noticed I had this sense of smell that I thought everybody could smell the way I did. So your orange sweater that you're wearing, I'm, I, you can, everyone can see colour unless you have synthesia in the, in the audience. But I smell, you can smell, I orange. Can smell the skin of an orange or a mandarin and I can smell a sandalwood. So my sense of smell, I, my senses are all muddled. But I started to see my sense of smell was very different to everybody else and I knew that that was my golden ticket. At what age did you have this conversation with someone where you're like, can you smell that? And they're like, mm, no. Well, <laughs> I don't think I did. I, th I think uh, my first job was a flower shop. So obviously that was... I, I think I placed myself in situations where my sense of smell was needed. And working in a flower shop, obviously, that's, that's quite important. 
Um, but I would smell when the dog was sick. I would smell when it was going to rain. I could, I could tell when it was just about to snow. There was all these sort of smells that, and my memory would hold on to them. So, um, yeah, it was a completely natural feeling for me. And you had to leave school early to look after your family, essentially. Can you take us through that? Well, I left, I left school at 15, and I, I have no qualifications, not an A, not an O. And when I was growing up, you had things called GCSEs and Cs. Do you still have those? CCSEs? GC well, I've got none of those. And I, I left school, but I, 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 I think from that young age, because I'd learned how to survive, and I knew how to make money. I knew how to make face creams. I knew how to entertain from the magic circle. I'm watching my dad, because I was the Debbie McGee. I was the magician's assistant. And I knew how to sell. So I knew the, the sort of three things, the three basics of running a business. So um, from a very young age, I thought, you know, running my own business is probably the way forward for me. And can you take us through, um, I guess, the, the moment where you decided, uh, you know, you were doing other jobs at first. You know, when did you decide, right, I'm going to monetize my nose? Yep. So I worked in the flower shop. I was fired from that because I tipped a bucket of water over somebody. Terrible. Terrible. It's quite extreme um, to be fired for that, I, isn't I know, it? I know, I was only 16 and I was a stroppy teenager. Then I went on, um, I washed dishes in a hotel. Um, I'm really good at making a bed in a hotel. I can do army corners and bounce a 10 pence off of it. So all these things that, you know, I gathered. And then I met my husband. We got married at the age of 22, 23. And suddenly, you know that, you know that sort of, that bites, that passion that sets... And it was like, I want to see if I can run my own business. So we, with, we cooped together this tiny little bit of money, rented a, our apartment. We had no money for furniture or curtains or anything. And I set to work building a skincare clinic with 20 women. Not 20 women as staff, 20 women as clients. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that's a big workforce to just start up with. Okay, what's a funny story you can remember from, you know, just immediately starting up? I think one of the funniest, um, I don't know, a funny story, I think standing there making bath oils and skincare creams in my little kitchen, which was uh, four plastic jugs and a saucepan. And I don't know, it was really funny, but it was magical. It was kind of that feeling. And I would sit there and I would pour all of the bath oils in. And because I'm dyslexic, I would then sit on the typewriter and type all the labels. And every single one was spelt wrong. Um, and people say, oh, I love this uh, limbo, you know, whatever it was. And it was like, oh, it's meant to be lime, basil and mandarin. But of course, they got all my little letters. <laughs> and um, I guess, can you just give our guests, because I know you talked about it in the podcast, but just, uh, you know, what is the most um, absurd or odd moment from your career that really stands out in memory? Oh, gosh, what questions? Um, my most absurd, I don't know. Which one was it? Remind me. I have well, no idea. <laughs> I was thinking about a cream pot, potentially. Going straight into the action, the throwing of a cream pot. Um, okay. Oh, okay. Well, that was absurd. It was uh, what when someone when my mum threw it at me. Yeah. I don't know about absurd. It was pretty hurtful. I was. Um, it was at a time where she, she could see me starting to move on in in business, and I, she had been very very sick, and I'd looked after her, and I was doing someone's face, and she came in and picked up a, a pot pot of cream, and she just literally lobbed it at me and it landed on me and it was actually at that moment that I thought I have to go I can't stay here if I stay 
I will become resentful. And within my character, I, I don't ever want to be that person. And I think that was, you know, that was... Amazing. I don't know about absurd, but it was a really life-changing moment It was for me. a catalyst. It, it, it motivated me. And I think sometimes those moments, when they happen, they, they really pull you up in life, pull you by your, you know, bootstraps, and you say, OK, who am I? Who do I want to be? If I stay here, will I really be that person? And I think that was probably a crossroads for me. And if you're curious about where that story goes, you've got to listen to the episode. So, um, on that note, um, I'd like to call Justine up to the stage, please, from Mumsnet. If you can swap seats, thank you. OK, so I've heard references to you, Justine, as uh, more powerful than the Queen from some people. Uh, so <laughs> I, think that as... was, I think that was you telling you that Possibly. last night. I've heard references from myself that Justine is more <laughs> powerful than the Queen. Um, so as the founder of the country's biggest site and community for mums and indeed grandmas, um, let's do the same to set the scene. So what was your early life like? What, like, what made you want to become an entrepreneur? Um, I'm not sure I really sort of thought I was becoming an entrepreneur. I just thought I'd give this thing a go. So when Mumset started, it was 1999, and you literally could not go anywhere or talk to anyone without them saying, what's your internet idea? There's this thing called the internet. You must have a web startup idea. What do you do? And so eventually I got so, you know, OK, I better, think of a, I better think of an idea. And it was just a user need, like many people who start things. And I think women are particularly bad, actually, at saying that they're starting a business. They're just doing something. And I felt I was just doing something to satisfy my own user need. And in my case, it was I was a parent of twins. I had no idea how to look after them. And I thought I'd better find someone else who can help me with this. Um, and the internet. The internet's great because you can tap into all these people with wisdom. So uh, I don't think I ever had any idea that... Uh, and the other thing, by the way, everyone who started a business then was going to sell it within a year and be on a yacht. So on that, on that basis, I was... <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's spectacular failure, you know, because still no yachts 20 years on. Joe, have you got a yacht? No. <laughs> uh, you guys could, like, timeshare one together so you got, like, a story next time. That would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, we'd probably argue about the decor. <laughs> yeah. um, so you left Oxford University yes. and went straight into doing this, or you had no, other jobs no, no. In I was no, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I spent ten years in the city. I started out on the floor of the stock exchange as one of two women amongst thousands of traders, um, and then I did masses of job in the city because I didn't really. Uh, well, I didn't really want to be there, I think. And I kept thinking, oh, there'd be this other thing I could do. So I was an economist for a bit, and I, you know, I did masses of different things. And then I got pregnant. That was the big catalyst for me, really, because I knew I did not want to work in the city being a mum, because I'd seen other women do it and have to pretend their children didn't exist. So at that point, I left and went to an equally family-friendly career. I became a sports journalist, so I was writing about football in press boxes, pregnant with twins. Um, and I won't tell you what, you know, people like Harry Redknapp said about that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so it was... Uh, but I before just... you make it sound like a job you didn't want, you actually do love football. I love football, yeah, it was my passion. Yeah. 
So I love football, I love cricket. I'm really actually pissed off because my team is playing tonight. I can't believe I've agreed to do this. Um, <laughs> no, that's a joke. I'd love big hair. Um, <laughs> it's Liverpool, they're going to win so, again. Did no one say the result? Please, please, keep it secret. Um, it's called Secret Results, Yeah, exactly. Podcast. So, yeah, so, so for me, I sort of, yeah, I kind of fell into it, but it was because of user need. Um, okay, so, uh, you know, for everyone else that looks at uh, entrepreneurs like that person's a great success, etc., etc., Mumsnet was a seven-year overnight success. So, the first seven years, extremely painful and a really unusual, interesting, but unusual time to be trying to build an internet business like that. Instead of dissecting that whole journey, can you give us an actual, uh, real insight, what it is like, 365 days from starting to the first year of feeling like not much has really happened, yet you've got yes. that same faith. What was that like? Yes. Well, it was even worse than that, really, because we started and then the dot-com bubble burst. So all the excitement and everyone going around saying, what's your internet business, changed into, you're in an internet business, and we couldn't raise any money, and, um, and, then, and, and it just all went very quiet. In fact, people wrote columns about how the internet's dead, it's over, and I thought, oh, well... <laughs> That's been a bit of a waste of time. But meanwhile, what happened was this community that we'd started, this fledgling community, started to come to life. So whilst the business model was obviously completely wrong, I mean, I think I, think I was predicting in year two e-commerce revenues that we don't make now. <laughs> I mean, so wrong. And everyone was on dial-up, you know, so it was very hard for people to actually even log on. Um, but the people who did make it through and logged on were finding it incredibly useful. So whilst nothing, literally no revenue, all back bedroom, no, we couldn't pay anyone, I couldn't pay myself, I had the cheapest childcare ever. Um, my children, you know, suffered as a result. I blame that. But the community was coming to life and finding it helpful, so that's kind of what kept it going, really was people would literally write to me and say this thing saved my life so mm. I felt like well there's some worthiness to it even though nothing was happening from the business <coughs> point of view. And what does a community feel like in, in a year? You know at the end of the year do you remember is it like 30 people really connecting is it like a uh, hundred but 20? I oh, know it was more than that because I wrote I think I got asked to write a diary of a dot-com startup for the times and so I, you know you could watch people joining you could, you'd literally, I was on Google Analytics saying, oh, my God, look at all these people coming. Um, so it felt lively, actually. I mean, it started off not very lively because it was just me talking to me under multiple nicknames. Um, <laughs> that wasn't very lively. But Any good nicknames? Uh, I'm not, not going to reveal them. because You can search, you can that. search yeah. and find my stupid question. <laughs> um, so, um, so, but then it really did come to life. And, and yeah, I knew it was coming to life when I, my friend asked me... A, question about being pregnant because she was the only person I knew who'd been pregnant and I said yes I know the answer about palpitations but you've got to ask on mum's net um, which was really mean right because she was <laughs> so I rushed on to answer and two people had answered and then okay it's come to life you know amazing okay so this is the part where we get into the meaty questions the main questions for both of you um, so you guys are both warm now um, you especially, because Joe warmed your seat for you. Yes, she did. Very Thank kind you, Joe. Welcome. Um, so, Joe, we'll start with you. But the, the first question um, is, what is the hardest moment of your career? I've had lots of really, really hard moments. What are all I of think... them? Well, no, 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 not all of them. But I think, I think starting again. Yeah, I think that was... And when did you do that? Um, That's recent. 
well, 2011, so 2013. So, you know, building a brand that everybody knows you for and it's gone global and you've sold it and all of those. And everybody thinks, you know, life's perfect. But as we talk about, you get curveballs and my curveball was I got cancer. So that's the, the thing that gave me the crossroads in my life and made me change where I was going. But starting again, having that courage to get out there, sit around a kitchen table, same for plastic jugs, same passion, but being older, and then realizing the responsibility that I got myself into because I had to make sure the consumer knew that it was a different business. And boy, it was one of the hardest. I think if I'd known then what I know now, I still would have done it, but boy, I would have done it differently. And I was just, I felt, I felt I was totally humiliated. I'd, I'd stood on a public stage trying to launch Joe Loves, got all the packaging wrong, got the distribution wrong, got what was in the bottle right. Because if I hadn't got that, it would have really been disastrous. Um, but I had to go back. And I think sometimes in business, we think that just because you've done it once, that you're perfect, that you have all the answers, that you have a crystal ball. It's, you don't, because time moves. People change, markets change, demands change. And just because I'd done it once really well, I couldn't go back and repeat it. I had to learn all over again. So I think that was, for, for me, that was the hardest thing. Now, in 2019, she's flying. She's literally taken off. But it took so much tenacity. And I would tell myself every day, don't quit. Don't quit one more day. One more. I mean, how, how often have you thought that in your businesses? Don't quit today. <laughs> don't quit on a bad day. Because you never quit on a good day, <laughs> do you? If it's a bad day, don't quit. Because sometimes the landscape changes. So um, I'm really glad I, I never quit. Do you think part of that's got to do with your expectation differences? So the first time around, you don't really know what to expect. So it's hard to identify whether or not you're being an idiot, making mistakes, doing something that you know you should do better. Second time round, because you have that knowledge, you, I guess, have a much higher expectation of what you should be accomplishing. Like, you're setting your own goals in a much more realistic but ambitious way. And so you're harder on yourself? My goals have never been realistic. I've, I've got to be honest, that's, that's the secret of my success. I really go up there and then I push myself above and beyond. And that... But I think what we have to realise is mistakes is part of life. And we're human beings, we make mistakes, but mistakes can be so valuable. They can be more valuable to you in building a business than actually making every right, mm. every right move. I mean, who, who does that? Who makes every single right move? Of course you don't. The first time round, it was like jumping off a mountain with no parachute. I didn't know how hard it would be as I hit the ground. The second time, you're much more, you think a lot more and actually, that entrepreneurial spirit really does need to kick in and just just take the risk, take risks. Because if we don't take risks, we'll never know who we really, what we're really capable of doing. Justine? Yes. Same, same question, the hardest moment of your hardest, career. Um, You've got a few that you brought up in our, in yes, our interview, so I'm, yes. I'm curious which one you're going to pick. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick um, when we came under quite concerted cyber attack. Um, which lasted for several weeks and we were 
SWAT, oh, yeah, my house was SWATed. Do you know what SWATed? I was a SWAT team was sent to my house with armed guards and wow. um, because they what they do so they, it's a gaming thing. They call up and say there's a there's a mass murderer in the house and the kids are being taken. And then they send um, so that way. In, so so it was a combination of the users were under attack and actually a SWAT team was sent to a user's house as well. The users were under attack. The data was under attack. The business was under attack. And I also personally felt under attack. So that was the time when I thought, oh, my God, this really isn't worth it. Why am I doing this? How many years in was that? That was really quite recent. That was about, <coughs> I'd say, three or four years ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, but there have been lots of other kind of, you know, other major embarrassments. But that's the, the only time where I thought... You know, like crumbling. I mean, being sued is not good. Being sued at the time when you get those letters and you think this could be really, really ugly, um, that's never good. But then there's always an upside to being sued. Yeah, I, I was, was re-listening yeah. to our episode, where it's, uh, Justine's episode three of this series. I was re-listening to it this morning and there's a clip which is, it's actually being sued is also one of the best things you could do for publicity. Yeah. So it's she true. also literally recommends getting sued as a tactic. Ooh. It's true, it's true. <laughs> and actually there is also an upside to being, you know, under cyber attack, to be honest, which is the community rally brown, the team rally brown. You know, we found this inner reserve of, of stuff, which in retrospect, is really is really a useful and powerful and bonding thing. But at the time, it felt actually very lonely. What actually happens? Is it the middle of the night? And like, is it, yeah, is it like an American show, like SWAT team it's goes a, in and bashes your door down, or what? Um, yeah, they do. They bash your door. Although I have to admit this, I'm going to ruin this picture now. You're all feeling sorry for me. I wasn't actually in, <laughs> <laughs> but, but my poor nanny was, <laughs> my, my, uh, my au pair, in fact, was, and they, uh, it was a couple. We had a couple of, of Spanish au pairs, and they swiftly went back to Spain two oh, weeks later. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. 
You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, so uh, as you can see, very different kinds of toughest moments. And uh, I guess when you're starting out, you can never really predict just how difficult things are going to be. Don't think you're going to uh, expect a cyber attack and SWAT team, hopefully. Difficult times starting up again, though, is a great and valuable insight. Thank you. Okay, next question. So female funding, specifically. So funding is pretty difficult for any entrepreneur, full stop. It's a pain in the ass. You have to see 200 investors here, no 199 times. And then that one time it goes well, it turns out they don't pass any of your KYC and uh, it's all illegal and you have to start all over again. And that's at the best of times. So if you add to that, obviously, um, the stories that come out from speaking to female entrepreneurs about how much more exponentially difficult it is. And then, of course, the fact that uh, you actually started very early as well in a different time when there's even less funding available. Can you take us through those experiences? So we'll start with you, Justine. Yes, so I um, so just before the dot com crash, I had this plan I've told you about with, with I wanted to raise four and a half million quid, and I got quite far with some guy, a venture fund guy, and he said, "I really like your idea. Actually, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I just don't want you to run it." Um, and I've got this sidekick young man who's not a parent who I think should run mum's net <laughs> to which I, you know I said like, I haven't even started I'm not ready to and and by the way he's not really anyway um, not, not on brand not on mum's net <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then someone else said um, I, I um, you will fail but when you do you can come and work for me he was German um, so, and, and as opposed to thinking that she just yeah. got into a weird character, because yeah. actually her alter ego on Mum's Net, that other character, she was uh, yes, a German. Exactly, one of my one I of my like personas. told him to stuff it. Um, well, actually, he went, but they went bust three years later, oh. and I had a little party. <laughs> um, I didn't ring him up and say you will work for me. Um, and uh, yeah, well, so I suppose the thing that brought it home to me most was I was on a judging panel for a competition for a bit, you, an entrepreneur you would all know about. I'm not going to say who it was. And it was mostly was it Joe? Was it judging. Joe? I think we were on it together, were we? No, no I don't okay. think we were on this, because there was one other woman. Okay. That means there's definitely another awful story anyway, that Joe's going to share. Anyway, you've got another story. Um, and there, and there, were t- there were kind of two, two potential winners of this competition. One was... Um, cauliflower rice which as a woman and the other woman was was. so we thought didn't we we thought this is amazing this is going to solve so many problems got to be cauliflower rice all the men voted for the advertising hologram and that one which i mean and cauliflower rice is huge Mm. now because it totally solves the problem and that is the problem they didn't get it they didn't Mm. understand the problem and the men with the money do not necessarily understand what 50 percent of this country, what their problems are. And that's, that's why female businesses aren't getting backed, I think, because very often it's their own hunch they're following. And if they don't understand the audience, they're not going to back and it. What was your experience getting funding after that? So did you just stop, stop trying? Well, it, the funding stopped. The bubble burst yeah. and I stopped, yes. And yeah. Joe, what about you? What's your funding story if you have one? 
Um, so I, I ne never sought funding. Um, I remember in the very beginning with Joe Malone going to the bank and saying, can I have £100 overdraft facility? And they said no. <laughs> and, I know it was um, a man. And they're still my... It was a man, actually. And they're still my bank today, and I never let them forget that they, <laughs> they said no to £100. Um, and, it was, and I was really shocked at that. So I went away, but... I think from where I'd come from as a little girl, where debt was always there, it was always, I never wanted to owe money to anybody. And so we built our business and I would, we'd earn a little bit of money and we got to a point in our business where it was growing so rapidly and this little pool of money was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. So we knew that we had to, and for me, I didn't want to take a backer. I mm. didn't want to be controlled by somebody. I still don't want to be controlled by somebody. And... Um, so actually selling our business and staying part of it was absolutely the right way. And we needed a lot of money to be able to roll that business sort of globally. Mm -hmm. And so that was my only... And, and we'd had a lot of people come... You know, when you have a business and it's starting to take off, the, the, um, they, they appear from everywhere. They appear, you know, can, can we come in? Can we have a franchise? Can we... Um, you know, can we buy 10% of the business? But I think the really important thing when you're building a business is your equity is your golden ticket. Hold on to equity as long as you can because the bigger you build your business and the more that you gain attention for that, the, the better deal that you'll get. And so many businesses I meet sell a huge chunk mm. of their business in the beginning and mm. then they suddenly find you know, people's opinions on their board and they suddenly find the reason that they started their business because they want to fulfil their dreams, they're then running everybody else's mm. um, opinions of what their business should be. So hold on to equity as long as you can. And what about having a board? Did you have one originally before you sold to Estee Lauder? I've never had a board. So you didn't have to I've, build I one I sat then. on boards yeah. Yeah. and I'm hopeless on boards because they ask you to sit on their board and say, we want an entrepreneur to see what an entrepreneur really thinks. They don't. <laughs> they hate what an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur is disruptive. They pull the rug from under your you feet. Complain about they, how say, the room smells. they talk about the elephant in the room that nobody wants to think about. So I never had a board, but actually selling my business and I, um, you know, very respectful of the of the Lord of Family, and I would still absolutely, if I had my time again, I would sell it to them. Now having Joe loves, it's and this is my it's my money that's funding this business. So. Yeah, and for the first two years, we were bleeding money. And now I can admit it, because we're through the other end, but, oh, my goodness, I was literally, at one point, had my hand over something that was literally gushing money everywhere. And if it hadn't been for speaking engagements, I wouldn't have been able to pay the salaries. So the speaking engagements, actually, every time I got a speaking engagement, it would come in, I knew that, the, the you know, it was one month's salary mm. and everyone was OK. With this business now taking her globally, we are going to have to look at either taking a partner, selling a chunk of the business, or, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money to take this brand around the world. I love your business so as a um, she. Yeah, she's like my best friend. <laughs> what, are you, what are you actually currently thinking? Like, what are your strategic options? You must have spent some time thinking what you might... What, what wouldn't you do, for example? What wouldn't I do? I, I wouldn't carry on just opening one store at a time and funding it myself. I think the world has moved on. When, when, if, if I go back, I've been a shopkeeper 25 years this year and the world has changed dramatically, but you can have one... We've got one shop in Elizabeth Street, but it's a global brand and it's literally starting to, to mushroom, but it needs the team. So if we're gonna open in Shanghai and we're gonna open in New York, you can't, you can't run it from here. You have to have 
feet on the ground, you have to see what's happening and you have to react really quickly. So there will be a point, and I think it's coming, um, where it's a crossroads for us. You know, do we... I look, at, I look at this little business at the minute and it's a retail business without a doubt, but she has this heartbeat of creativity. And for me, it's like a, it's a springboard into a global market and being able to change the world again in, in, in which I live. So that's going to cost, you know, a couple of uh, several million, shall we say. But you know, people that you're like, I would just like, that would love to fund you because they'd love to be part of that journey, that the, the feeling's mutual from your side. And you're like, why not? And it doesn't, it wouldn't feel like you know, as a young entrepreneur, you have to get in bed with the devil. You don't know who, what they're really like. But, uh, you know, at your stage, having already done a business like that, you, you must know the right people. You must feel oh, comfortable. No, no, I do. Yeah, no, no, I, I absolutely. I mean, I haven't sort of reached out for that mm. right at this moment. Because Justine and has, I has would, offered. I would, right? <laughs> <laughs> We'd be good as partners yeah. together. I've got five quid. You can... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Um, Justine, what about you with the board? Yes. So you, you haven't taken very much money at all. Originally, anyway. we have actually recently yeah, done recently. A, a small round, and I was really. Um, but but Joe's completely right. You know, I didn't want to cede any control at all. I didn't want to. You know, I wanted people who had the same time frame as me. But at the, even if they didn't, or they changed their mind, I wanted to be in control. Um, I didn't see the point of building a business for twenty years to mm. to let someone else sort of who's just popped in for the, for the ride to, to, you know, dictate terms. So, so I work very, very hard to find patient capital, which I think is what Mumsnet needs. And I've made it very, very clear that we will always put purpose before profit. And so if I can't live with that, then, you know, that's that. So we do have a board now. It's a very small and compact board. Um, it's not full of great and good, um, but it serves a quite a good purpose because it actually makes me kind of produce monthly numbers and things like that, which I probably should do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, moving on to uh, m like managing family life or growing families at the same time as entrepreneurship. So, Joe, um, you uh, when we chatted, when I asked what your greatest accomplishment was, you said being a mother. You uh, proudly display that on your social media, so it's definitely very much at the heart of your brand. Justine, it's baked into your brand name, so it's right there for everyone. And you have four kids and twins as part of that. So um, I'm guessing this has been definitely something that you've focused on, um, you know, how to manage both simultaneously at the same time. You know, most, most of us mere mortals struggle with just a business. Um, so just a business and also raising a family seems pretty hard. So um, I guess, Justine, starting with you, uh, what's been your experience of how to handle those two things simultaneously? Obviously, the more children I had, the more on-brand I was. So, you know, I should probably keep going. And now we've started GrandNet. I have to encourage my children to get on with it. Um, I mean, I badly. I mean, that's why I think the only... I mean, I can't give any secrets to this. It's really, really hard. You have to expect, um, accept imperfection and just do what's important to you and let everything else slide. But what were you um, like with work-life balance? I mean, is it all everywhere? Is it, I've got to be home for six because of this? You know, how did you, how did you well, personally so do it? One of, so, actually, I should have answered this in, in, in your previous question, but one of my motivations for Mumstep was to create a work environment where people could put family first, um, because I'd worked in the city and then, in, you know, as a football reporter, and that certainly wasn't the case. 
So we kind of make a point of saying you never have to, if you work with mum's set, you never have to miss the school play. There's no sort of presenteeism. It's all about outcomes. And you must do what's important to you. And family absolutely comes first, because it does, right? It's an essential truth. Um, having said that, I work harder than I've ever worked in any other job. And I don't even recognise work-life balance anymore, because I have a smartphone, and it's all mixed up together. I really don't know what's work, what's life. I, work is life. It, it makes no sense to me. Um, so um, so what, do I have any tips? Carve out time for the things that are really important. It might be the school play, or you may never want to go to the school play. All oh, that's fine. But just Do you make want to go sure to the school play? Prioritising. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she says on the podcast. Yeah, I'll tell yeah, you that. Like it, no. yeah. <laughs> I love school plays. And I love them. I think there's this huge. I'm always asked that question. How do you manage work and family? And I, I find that a strange question. I've got to be really honest. It's like, like everybody else. I do my hmm. very best. And sometimes I excel and I go above and beyond. And sometimes I fail miserably. This myth that there is the perfect, it doesn't exist. And if you're trying to find it, I'm telling you it doesn't exist. But at the same time, being, we're there to run a business. I mean, that's what. But when my, when my little boy was growing up and he was sick, I'm sorry, I, he wanted me. He didn't want someone else. He didn't want, he didn't even want his dad. He wanted me sitting there. And the people that we employ, when their children are sick, it's like, go home, go be with your child. Because they're not concentrating in the board meeting or whatever it is you're trying to do. You go and you, and the school plays. School plays are important to children. And I would say, be present in the, in the now. So if you're sitting in the office and you're sitting, that's where you are, that's where your mind has to, has to focus. But when you go home on a Friday, switch your phone off. I know that sounds crazy, but switch them off when you sit and, and have dinner together and talk to your kids. I, my son is now 18. He's about, I'm so sad, he's about to go to university. And he's my only child. He is one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. And I have sat and had breakfast with my son every single day since he was been born. And I worked all the rest of my day around, let's build businesses that encourage people to support and be part of their families because you will have a happier person, a happier workforce. You will always have the person that comes in and, and tries to, to just say, this is what I'm owed, this is what I'm owed. Do you know what? That's always going to happen. Don't concentrate. Concentrate on the people that, that you really... Uh, and help them with their families. And if they need to go off early and they need to come in late, let them do it. It's OK. The business will still get done. And... Being a mum for me has been one of the most important things in my world. And I have a son who is the product of two entrepreneurial parents. And for the first time in my family history, my son's going off to American University to live his dream. Why? Because he thinks with his entrepreneurial head. And I am, I am beyond proud. Mm. <laughs> Very nice. And I was, I was, I mean, I said at the beginning, you know, if you work for a shit boss, then go apply for one of these guys. I was going to ask where you actually build in, uh, where you think uh, on reflection you've built in more flexibility, you know, is it in what work, you know, the workplace or is it in family life? But it does seem like you've actually just, it, it, like 50 50, realistically, like one hasn't had to have more flexibility than the other. Like I think it, it's, it's, it, there are certain times when your family has to take precedence and there are certain times when work is absolutely all 
encompassing. And uh, I think, you know, my, I remember my fourth child, I was, I was cycling him to his nursery and he started singing a lovely song to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, which went, mummy, 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 mum, mummy, mummy, don't go to work. And, uh, and you know, luckily it was my fourth child, so <laughs> I just sort of said, bye. Because, <laughs> um, because by that time, you, you just know that actually, you know, they're going to be fine. Um, and now my kids are <laughs> really proud. I mean, the idea of me being at home now terrifies them. And they're really, they're just delighted that I've got something <laughs> to keep me occupied. Um, but, but actually, there's a serious point there, which is there's no point having guilt. You're doing yeah, it or you're yeah. not doing it. The guilt doesn't help. So you just have to put that to yep. one side. And I completely agree with Joe. When you're there, try and really be there. That, that, that's where you, yeah, that's the mm. place. I would say as well, take kids so I have this I love creating fragrance but I have this passion to empower the next generation and um, and I'm sure you've heard me kind of up there to, trying to change the national curriculum that's what I'm trying to do at the moment but take your kids on the journey and you know what kids love it like if you've got envelopes to stuff or you've got things to get a pizza get some music going get the kids round and get them to understand what it is to build a business and include them as part of it and you know what happens is that child then starts to look at life with an entrepreneurial mind and they and we're teaching them then to build we're equipping them so you can make it fun and exciting and but you know you're going to make mistakes and you're going to do things wrong that's okay i remember once with josh he went off to school, because I'm dyslexic, an email came through from the school and it said, please send your child to, uh, to school on Friday dressed as, um, it's very apt tonight, as one of the European flags, so whatever. So I thought, oh, I'll do Spain, Josh will love that. So off he goes to school on a Friday, I dress him completely in the Spanish flag. And I get there and I think, oh, I was the only mother that's made an effort. I can see outside the school <laughs> gate. Nobody else has made the effort and he goes in comes home that evening and he looks at me and he goes, Mum, you read it wrong. And I said, what do you mean? He said, it was the lower year and my year had the mayor coming to do assembly. <laughs> <laughs> and on the front of the news, of their, of their kind of newspaper, was all the kids in their blazers with the mayor and Josh as a Spanish flag. <laughs> Got it wrong. I think, I think it's only fair to ask what the most embarrassing thing you've done for your children is then, because you must I think, I, I think just existing, probably. <laughs> um, no, I'm very embarrassing, but um, I'm just reflecting on the idea of letting my kids anywhere near my workplace, because they, they're now at the age where they want to come and be interns. And I'm saying, mm. no way, I can't have that at all. But my daughter did once post on Mumsnet under a pseudonym asking about <laughs> what dog to what puppy to get, which was in itself terrifying. Yeah, she said, I'm never posting there again. <laughs> Some <laughs> really scary stuff. Uh, no, so, so I wouldn't... I, 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 I worry about that idea of, you know, I'm not going to... They, they say, when can we have the family business? No way, is that the family business? You're not having that. So you <laughs> mentioned uh, changing the curriculum. Is this uh, with a view to, you know, trying to encourage more entrepreneurship and, I guess, uh, you know, individuality? I think the world in which our children will inherit is scary right at this moment. And last summer, two summers ago, so this isn't about my son. My son has come straight through with straight A's and, and he's off to Harvard. So, I mean, this is not about him. But we were sitting one summer and I noticed one of the young men who were getting their results 
hadn't got through. And he got an email from the school to say, you have to find a new school in, the, in the September to go back to. And I watched this young man just completely disintegrate before my eyes. He wouldn't look up. And I've known him all my life. And I was so broken by this and thought, that was me. What can I do? And I've really thought about it. And I thought, we have to teach entrepreneurialism in schools. And so I started on the, the whole programme and they said, yes, 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 that's very interesting, but um, when you get to 17, that's, it's too late by then. These kids need to be taught from the age of seven to 17. So at the, within five years, we will have a generation of young people that come through school that understand what maths, you know, they, they'll understand VAT. They'll understand how to write a press release. They'll understand how to put a product together. And they'll knit together chemistry, biology, English, mathematics, and think, now I get it. Now I get what I can do with these things. So I'm on this mission, and I'm not going to stop until we've... Actually, Lauren and I are on this mission. We're not going to stop until we see this actually part of the national curriculum. So I go around the country. I talk to schools. I came from an amazing academy um, in southeast London the other day where the actual the head came to me and said, we're going to help you put the curriculum together. And there's an amazing army of people that we're, that we're going to make sure that every child hands the baton of creativity and entrepreneurialism so that every child knows how to build, how to create something, so they're not left thinking to themselves, we're second best. Because no, we have to find the jewel in every child to help them build, because no child should ever feel as though they're second best and left out, ever. Is this something common you've seen in Mumsnet as well? Like, uh, you know, the, the, in the forums, talking about the curriculum and what we could do to actually change it and improve it? Yeah, I think... Um, in a world where we've got robots and machine learning, yeah. uh, our education system doesn't really equip people for what's coming. I mean, mm. you know, I don't know about you, but I can't remember anything anymore because I don't really have to. I've got Google to remember it for me, right? So I can't spell. I've got spell check. We don't really need those... I mean, you know, I tell my kids to learn to spell, but, but what we need is solutions, people, creative people, people who can make connections and actually on a human level do stuff that the machines can't and actually learning a load of facts about geography. And I mean, I've just been doing mock GCSEs with one of my sons and if I have to do, you know, any more about how rocks bump along the riverbeds, no, I'm just, I just, and he has to just learn facts, just a load of facts. And that seems completely irrelevant in a world of machine learning and robots. So. That is discussed a lot on Mumsnet, and I, I, I think we should focus much more on critical thinking, which is, you know, kind of what you need for entrepreneurship. So I'm with Joe, yeah. yeah but as had... an entrepreneur, the reason we're happy building it is we found the thing that makes us feel fulfilled yeah. with purpose. And if we feel, find that, that, you know, we, we wonder why mental health is on the rise, why crime is on the rise, it's, and I'm not, I'm not condoning crime in any way, shape or form. But the reason that is rising is because these people have no purpose. They don't know where to put all of this energy. And I think it is, it's not just the responsibility of the educational system. Teachers are doing everything that they possibly can. But as an army of entrepreneurs, we have a voice and we have part of a really powerful answer for the next generation. And I think that will bring us together. And I, I just know that we will start to see a real elevation in our communities when we start to believe in our children and, and their potential and, and equip them to do it.
we had a, a guest, I can't remember exactly who it was, but on the show he said, um, you know, we've got a, a curriculum designed in the 19th century, taught by 20th century professors equipping people in the 21st century. And that's essentially, and, you know, I, I, annoying, I can't remember exactly who it was. <laughs> I'll have to listen to it back. But, you know, he was um, absolutely campaigning on changing education as well for exactly that. So it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. And no matter who you talk to in the government, they will agree, but no one really knows how to do anything to change it. So you wait, did. Just you yes. wait. Excellent. <laughs> um, OK, so the last question, the big one, I guess. Uh, you've actually already touched on it, Joe. so we'll start with you. Um, I'm sure there's a few things, but... Um, if you could do it all over again, what would you do? What would you do differently? How would you approach it? Um, I would absolutely start another business. I think I would have sold my first one very differently. I think I learned a lot from that. I would still have sold it, but I would have done it differently. Can you give some detail there? Like, what, what is it about well, the process it, that you'd have done differently? I think every... Because well, it, it attached my name, so it had my name to it. Oh, yeah. So I think that sort of... That's whole heap of... I've learned a lot from that. But I would have still sold it to the I think for the, the record orders. there is uh, you're, you're not anywhere near as uppity as uh, someone who goes around saying you must call me Joe Malone CVE, but you must actually call you Joe Malone CVE because Joe Malone is Those, a, a yeah. trademarked name now. Uh, Those little I'll letters after name. my name yeah. actually signifies it's the person. So Apparently you've got you, it your anyway. Majesty. Yeah. Apparently you got it on legitimate terms. Yeah. It was nothing to do with the fact you had to, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what would I do? I would still have started another business. I just want to change the world again. I just... It, isn't, it wasn't about making... I kind of like making money. Because, and it's not that I'm in love with it. It's that you can do great things with money. You can change your life. You can change people around you. Can, you can do amazing things in this world. So... I'm really glad I've started another business. What would I do differently? I probably wouldn't trust some of the people I've trusted and trust more that I didn't trust, if you know what I mean, but that's just part of life. Um, some of the people I've met, I, I, you know, I probably would, would stand back. I, I kind of tend to jump in with both feet, trust everyone 100% from day one. I wish I wasn't quite as, as impetuous as that. I wish I could learn to sit back and learn and, and wait. Um, but I'm kind of living the life that I love and I want to. So I don't think I would have done anything else. I love what I do. I guess the key learning, genuinely, is for anyone that does have a, a company name named after them... Think. ...don't do it. Mm. No. Is no, it don't no, do it or is it not? No, absolutely. I, I don't regret that. But just realise there's responsibilities with that. And when you sell that brand... There's responsibilities. When you sell a business to somebody, with you, regardless whether you have your name or not... You know, it's like a marriage, and it's like having kids. You know what? You have to be responsible. You have to respect each other because that the child... And I look at Joe Malone, Cream and Black Box, as a child, and I would never, ever see any harm come to that business. So there is a responsibility. But think. Think before you sell. Think how you sell. Think about your long-term. Are you going to stay in the business a long time? Are you going to get out? Because they own your, they'll own your name and um, make sure you're happy with the decisions that you make. Justine, you haven't sold your name to the brand yet, no. so... Yeah, I'm not lessons. sure about the name, actually. I was in two minds at the beginning, and I'm still in two minds about it. But anyway, <laughs> I would have taken myself more seriously, so I would have done things like trademarking, and um, mm. uh, I would have had a proper shareholders' agreement, and all Has the that stuff. Has that cost you? Yes, I think. I mean, it's cost in lawyers' fees later, and I think you know we uh, there is 
there are trademarking confusions that have happened that could have been avoided. But I don't think we ever took ourselves, you know, we were going to be in our yacht in a year, so that was one thing. We were so burned by the dot-com bubble burst and everything slowing down that we took too long to accelerate when things got good again. So Facebook came, Twitter came, suddenly the social web came, uh, advertising came, and we were a bit slow in, in really riding the wave that yeah, because we were there early. Um, so I think you have to recognise that in business there's, there's times for going at different speeds and you can't be one-paced. I would make tons of different product decisions, um, but uh, the main thing, I think, is to try everything but learn very quickly and ditch it quickly. I probably would have scaled up our tech platform, which, a bit, you know, I would, have, I would have reinvented the tech earlier and realised that every internet business is, in fact, a tech business. And you can't un you can't under you can't overinvest in tech. Um, so how I could do you go feel on about for that hours. Statement? <laughs> what tech? Is every is every business a tech business? I'm I can't even turn a computer on, so I'm not one of those people to ask that. Um, I think we can't deny that is a voice that is means of distribution, and I honestly I don't understand any of that. But if you if you don't have it as part of your business, you're going to cut a huge chunk potential out for your future so I think you have to but I I've got to be honest my son I sit there and I go how do I do this how do I do and he just goes do, 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 and it's done and and I go how did you do that <laughs> so I think that I was gonna say but can you make candles but then I know that you're gonna say <laughs> yes he can so <laughs> yeah and, but but I think you know it, it enables you to to tell your story send messages communicate um, and but I think the younger well Certainly not my generation. I think the younger generation really do have have an understanding that we need to tap into. Before we go to Q and A, just last question, which is um, advice. What is the best piece of advice you would offer other entrepreneurs starting up today? You go first. <laughs> I think we're living in a world today where dreams are really coming true for people. I think you have to focus realize they're going to be tough times ahead. And really, there's this wonderful quote from Geddes, which says, for man to discover new oceans, he must first have the courage to lose sight of the shore. So realize that there are going to be really lonely, uncomfortable, difficult moments when you're starting your business and whatever. But in order for you to change the world, that's, that's an important place. So don't be scared. Don't be frightened. One step in front of the other every single day. I would advise everyone to wear trainers at all times. Um, and it's a serious point. It's, it sounds flip, but it is serious because you're, it's number one, you're probably going to be late a lot and you can run. Two, you don't have to join the gym because it's fitness too. So you're, you're, it's killing two birds with one stone. But um, so that's number one, and I always do. So that is true, and I, the, when I see women in high heels, you know, I think it's a disadvantage, and it sort of broadens into don't waste too much time on your appearance generally, because there's too many other things to do. So that's just my personal bias. And then I think the other thing on a business front is um, make sure you have a USP, because people get wedded to things, but it may not be very unique, or, and, and so you must always keep in touch with whatever your customer is, and know that, that it really is special, the thing you're trying to build for them, um, and stay and be prepared to pivot if it's going wrong. On the trainer front, you've just reminded me of another tip you actually gave me yes. um, about public speaking. Do you remember oh, that yes. one? Oh, yes. Share the, that. The, yeah. 
Um, so you give us a demonstration? You're, you're, well, you sit down or stand up, but if you're, you know that thing where you sit in front of people and you forget what you're going to say? Um, if you lean on the ball of um, your, the big toe of your right foot, it connects with your brain and helps you see, have some clarity. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. Two thousand and eight, together with colleagues, friends, supporters, we began the School of Life, and it was a vague plan. But the the mission is the one that's remained the same ever since, which is to essentially create an organisation that would be a home for developing the tools for people to lead a more fulfilled life. That was Alain de Botton, the brilliant author, philosopher and founder of the School of Life. Alain shares his unique personal journey into entrepreneurship through the power of writing and thinking, having created one of the most meaningful businesses of modern times, the School of Life, which provides valuable insights and opportunities for reflection on the things that matter that's loved by people across the world, yours truly very much included. It's a special episode with a special thinker, so tune in or you'll miss out. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer Rich Martell, editor Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and marketing by Hannah Russell of Mags Creative, and stunning visual design by our talented designer, Christina Naru of SmartUpVisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming live events on our website, SecretLeaders.com. If you've not yet, please hit subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend, take a screenshot of this episode and add it to an Insta story. I mean, you know what to do. And tag us at Secret Leaders or at Dan Murray Serta, and we'll add you to our story in appreciation back. Rich and I put together Secret Leaders for free because we love our day jobs as entrepreneurs, but every time someone takes the time to share it, it means a lot to us. So don't forget, it's the little things like that that keep us coming back every week and every year into the studio. See you next week.